Patience. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> that wonderful, wonderful word, patience. Just say it slowly. Patience. You can almost hear how despised a word it is. It seems that we often come at patience from a particular angle, almost a singular angle, and that's one of restraint. Right? Somehow, we've got to figure out how to restrain our anger, our frustration, our despair in the midst of some sort of provocation. And we don't like that. I don't. In fact, and you know, and I have this, it's like you got to give the gratuitous nod to what we always say about patience, right? What everybody says about patience. Don't pray for patience. You know, that's what everybody says. Don't pray for patience. And that's usually followed up with a, you know, a quick story, right? You know, I prayed for patience, and then just after that, I heard about a meteor rushing towards the earth. Some difficulty crops up. It could be big or small. What's common in all of those stories is that patience gets interpreted as going through these situations while not responding in the usual ways. Anger, frustration, despair. It's like patience is present, and you know it, in the absence of something. Those things. If those things aren't there, then there's patience. And what I want to say this morning is that that's not all there is to it. Right? Certainly, restraint in the face of provocation is part of our understanding of patience, but it is not the whole of our understanding of patience. Real patience, right? God-like patience, has other elements to it, and those elements are what I want to mention this morning. You might have noticed a trend, and, and Jason and I didn't plan this, but I talked about love from almost different perspectives, right? trying to paint this sort of three-dimensional picture of what love is, Jason did the same thing. He set joy within the context of a particular community, connected to other elements. Joy in connection to God's Word. Joy in connection to God's giving and guiding. Joy in connection to affliction and joy in connection to faithfulness. He did a, so I did 10, he did four, today I'll do two. <laughs> Just gradually descending. I want to set patience in the context of, first, mercy and grace, and second, perseverance and promise. What does it look like to reflect patience? What does it mean on the ground for us to be a patient people? Okay, first of all, here's where we go. Patience serves 
mercy, and grace. I get that from two passages from Paul, one in Ephesians and the other in Colossians. First of all, look at Ephesians 4. You can turn there or just listen. Ephesians 4 begins, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul exhorts these folks to walk, to live in a particular way. That way is consistent with what he has told them thus far in the letter. And what has he told them? We have one story that unites all of us, and that story is about Christ making one people out of two, about weaving the Gentiles who didn't have promises in with the Jews who did have promises. The death and resurrection of Jesus makes one new man, and now here, Paul calls us to live consistent with that reality. But what does that look like? Verses 2 and 3. Paul says, walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There are actually two commands there. First of all, bear one another. That is, be tolerant of one another. Paul's assumption is clear here in that comment, bear with one another. It is clear that he knows that you and I will go through difficulties. You and I will struggle with our sinfulness. He assumes this will be a part of our life together. You can't have life together without it, even as the people of God. And so we will need to be prepared to be tolerant with one another as we clumsily make our way through. The second command, he tells us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What is that about? Remember again from chapter 2. Christ, in Christ, we have peace, we have harmony, we have union with one another and with the Father. We are a community of wholeness. And in communion with the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, we have all we need. And this is particularly the work of the Spirit. By that same Spirit who has brought us into that fellowship, who has given us all that we need by bringing us into that fellowship, we are distinctly aware and conscientious of the obligation that we have to maintain this reality that we've been given. Do you hear what Paul is calling us to? We're to be a people who love to put up with one another, even in our failures, and who want to more and more, more than anything, in fact, to remove every obstacle to being together, whole, to living out this oneness, our belonging to one another. Now, what kind of people do that? What kind of people carry out those two commands? A gentle, humble, a patient people. A people who are not overly impressed with themselves and know they're servants of the living God in need of one another. That's gentle and humble. And a people who have this capacity to restrain 
even justified anger, so that they could give and serve to one another. Why? Because they know what our Heavenly Father is doing. We know His purpose. That is to have a people whose life looks like His own. Patience serves mercy and grace. This way. The second passage, Colossians 3, will add just one thing to this. Colossians 3, it's 12 through 14, but let me just read this. Colossians, beginning in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul says we are chosen. We are a people that have been set apart as his own, for him, loved by him. And we put on those things, compassion, etc., so that we can do what? Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We've already seen that bear with one another, that be tolerant with one another. But here he adds, forgiving one another. Bearing, we might say, sort of has this more global aspect to it, right? Could include many different kind of situations. But when we get to forgiveness, that's particular. Here, there is some wrong that has been done to you. And what do we do? When they seek forgiveness, we release them. Certainly all those virtues are needed for that to happen. But we can see how patience stands out in light of the grounds that Paul gives for the forgiving. He said, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive. You must forgive. That's not just an exemplary thing. Do what God did. It's a means kind of thing. That is because you have been forgiven. This is the kind of people that you are forgiving others. But I think more particularly we can say this, right? That gracious work of forgiveness flowed to you from God. How? Because of, as an expression of, His patience with you. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 16, or 12 through 14, 16. Listen to this. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though, and here's sort of the big though, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted in ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display 
his perfect patience. His perfect patience. It's what he exemplifies, shows. It's what makes this possible. Why God's forgiveness flows to us. And so, impatience, with patience, we forgive each other. Patience gives way to the cultivation of a community of grace and mercy. The second, patient undergirds perseverance through promise. Patience undergirds perseverance through promise. Taking this from Hebrews, some from chapter 6 and 10 and 12. But just to give you just a little context, he's concerned about his readers, the author of Hebrews is, because they are becoming unreceptive to the word. They become dull of hearing. And so he urges them, he exhorts them to some particular things. And so we'll pick this up in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. He says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He wants them to hold on to their complete certainty and confidence. Certainty and confidence in what? in the freedom and rest that have been given to them in Christ. That's what he's already talked about to them in this letter, in chapter 2 and 3. He's told them of Christ's suffering, how through Christ's suffering, the uh, work of Satan is destroyed, the power of death is ended. In chapter 4, he showed them through Christ that the rest that's promised by God is sure. It has been given. And so he wants them to hold on to that certainty of hope. But then he gives us why, and I already read in verse 12, right? Two things that faith and patience do. Faith and patience act as a weapon against the sluggishness, right? The hardness to God's word. But also faith is connected to inheriting these promises somewhere out there. The author has somebody particular in mind. In that same chapter, chapter 6, verse 13 through 15. He says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, and here it is, having patiently waited, attained the promise. He holds out Abraham as this exemplar of what he is urging them to, patience. With a forward thrust, those promises, that inheritance that is coming. Abraham felt, held fast to his faithful God, knowing he would give him those promises. Abraham endured all the obstacles. He didn't waver in his confidence with God. And that same patience is required of them. That same patience 
Right? If you and I are going to endure, then patience is required. You can't do without it. It's impossible. He goes on to urge them on the basis of what he has already seen in them, what he already knows about them. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. All kinds of stuff being thrown at them. Yet they withstood it. They stood. They held on. They served others. They showed compassion. They gave themselves away, grace and mercy. And they did it joyfully last week. What enabled them to be patient this way? Look at verse 34. You had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They fixed their eyes on the rest to come. They maintained the focus on the kingdom, their Savior, one for them. They knew the sweetness of what was ahead, what was promised, that hope. That fueled, that enabled their patience, restraint, restraint in the midst of provocation. And last then, lastly, he, point, he points them to the one who is this better possession. This is why I say it is patience that undergirds perseverance through promise, because something feeds the patience. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. The race set before us. Endurance, it's not the word patience, but it's closely connected to the word patience. We got really close to it just a moment ago in 6, patiently waiting. Let us run with endurance. The race set before us. How do we run with endurance? He says this, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. I want to be clear about this because I'm not urging you to this sort of, you know, stiff upper lip, let's go kind of idea. You don't, you don't muster patience. Right? This is the fruit of the Spirit. 
has the Spirit, Spirit produced that fruit? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, again, I, I think we can take this as a both and. Jesus is an exemplar, but that is not all he is. What did Jesus do? Endured the cross, despising the shame. Endured from sinners such hostility against him. I, I think that's provoking. Yet he endured. But why did he do it? How did he do it? Listen to this. We'll read it again. Who for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. And this is an and, but we could also, what was the joy, right? And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He set his sights on the kingdom he would usher in. He set his sights on the glory of his Father. And as he looked to that, he patiently waited. He endured. Setting our eyes on him, setting our eyes on his work for us, that is what enables us to follow in his footsteps, which is what we are called to do. What kind of people are we to be? Patient. Patient. Yes, patient means that we are restraining ourselves in response to provocation. But more particularly, there's a point to that. We're exploding with love for one another, putting up with one another, embracing one another, that is, forgiving one another, longing for a full expression of that oneness that we have, that we belong to each other. Persevering in our faith, that is, showing unrelenting loyalty to God, even in the face of great cost to us. That is what it means for you and I to be a patient people. But again, let's not forget where that comes from. As we look to that, as we long for that to be cultivated in us, to be that kind of community, may we always, always, continually be asking the Spirit to work that in each of us to give us eyes to see more and more how certain is our freedom and the rest that has been given to us in Christ. May we always be asking that the Spirit would give us a hunger and a longing for the fullness of what is to come. That the Spirit would grant to us eyes to see the faithfulness of God in giving us all that Christ has secured for us. May the Spirit make us patient.
Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for We thank you for what you have done in us, for us in Christ. And Lord, this is just one small, particular way that we are asking you to grow us and shape us. We're asking you to grant what Christ has given, has secured for us. Make us a patient people. Make us desirous of that virtue, patience. Make us long for it. Father, we ask that you would make us to love, to love patience. Lord, we pray that you would make us this kind of people in service to you that we would be a people that give away your mercy and grace to each other here and outside of this community. And that through patience, patience you would make us to persevere. Looking to your promises. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.